Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments and contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. A question as we begin our study of these truths. When God, through Abraham, first began to set apart a people to be his own special family, was it always his plan to later on then adopt this uh, wild branch of the Gentiles and to engraft them into his family? Was that his plan from the beginning? Or were these efforts that he was making with the Jews, as some Bible historians claim, was it just a failed experiment that needed to be rethought? Because that is being debated out there today. But may I quickly and plainly say that neither of those words, failed or experiment, is within the realm of possibility of God. He is the Almighty God who knows and plans every detail of life. He cannot fail, and neither is he left to wonder what might happen next or how a matter might turn out. Those sorts of responses seem to be that human effort that our wisdom of the wise wants to try to come up with, but at best they have only limited and foolish minds to work with and so they devise those kinds of responses they're at this human level that we are at and it's just the best that they can do but it's not right God is not able to fail and neither does he experiment and wonder what's going to happen later so then in the words of our today language God didn't try to work something out And it didn't work out well, so he fell back on plan B. That did not take place. While we can't in this life know all of God's plans and purposes, we can, through 
these scriptures know that God did, yes, set apart a Gentile man. Abraham, he was a Gentile, along with certain other members of his family. And they became a whole new family of people, a people after God's own heart, and God called those people the Jews. And those people, the Jews, though they never fully attained to the conditions of holiness and and righteousness that God desired for them, they still did remain his family. And now here in these simplest of words, God is telling us that yes, those Jews, those Israelites that he set apart, they are still his family. But then also here we read that in the fullness of time, he also began to invite the remaining Gentiles of this world, you and me, to freely join in and become part of his special family, part of the children of Abraham, part of the children of Israel, children of God. And again, God did not disown or set aside his people, the Jews, as some claim. That's very clear within these words. The Jews did then and still do remain part of God's family and they're his children. What's being told to us here is now that a fullness of time has arrived, God's going to engraft us, the Gentiles, the remaining people on this earth, into God's family. And we're going to become one big family. Now I realize that the way I'm saying this is it sounds repetitive. And I want us to understand that I'm doing that for a reason. It's because there are a great number of people out there today who, and, and many of them, devout believers. And I, and I do believe that they are devout believers. But they misinterpret these scriptures. And they believe that God has abandoned the Jews. That we, the modern day Christians, are now the new Israel. The only Israel that God now accepts and that the people of the modern-day nation of Israel are no longer God's people. But here in this passage, God is simply telling you and me that that's not so, that he has established a purpose, and that purpose is a generous one towards us Gentiles, and that he is simply engrafting us into that family that he has already started and they will always remain his. Listen to this. This is Hosea. 1 verses 9 and 10. Then God said, Call his name Loemi. This is going to be a child of Hosea. For you are not my people. That's the definition of the word. And I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass, listen, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Now here in this passage to the Ephesians, God is saying to you and me who were not his people, Gentiles who were not his people, we are now being invited to come in to join and to join into the family of God and to become sons of the living God. And in God doing that, it's just one more fulfillment of those first words that we were reading in Ephesians 2, expressing His gift of grace, His generous, free 
totally undeserved divine favor and pardon. I've said to you often that my usual way of thinking through matters such as these involves visual imagery. And my thoughts go to those scenes of old when royal families would parade down the streets in their elegant carriages and they would throw out trinkets and candies to the less fortunate common folks that are lined all along the way. Another thought along those lines is the scene where priests and bishops carrying their censers of incense dispense God's blessing out into the air with the intent that some of the smoke might fall on some of those people who are near so that they might be blessed. May I say that that is not at all God's intent here in his speaking of this special grace that he is affording to us. Here God is telling us that that grace is so much, much better than some of those almost miscellaneous offerings that we think about. Here God is telling us that it is his deepest desire that you and I and all the other Gentiles of this world would actually come into his home, live and abide with him, and become his beloved children. Fully accepted in the beloved. Receiving all the rights and all the privileges that are afforded to the natural born son, the Lord Jesus. And no, God's not saying that we'll have all the power and the position and authority that Jesus has when he calls us sons of God. But he is inviting us to be sons of God with all of the grandest of privileges that inheritance can bring. Listen to these words. These are Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, and those are very important words, by the way, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you and I are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your and my heart, crying out, Abba, Father. That is a very personal, very personal expression for God the Father. Crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Folks, listen. Those words should astound us. And they should fill us with joy and thankfulness. Because just look where we came from here. Verse 12 of Ephesians 2. We were once aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Listen, having no hope and without God in the world. We came from a condition of having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What grace. That is unfathomable grace. Free and undeserved. Why would God do such a wonderful thing for you and me? Why would he do that? The only answer that I've been able to come up with is that it is simply his nature to love. That's who he is. It's his nature to love. And so with that great love and compassion and pity, he looked down upon our miserable existence. And he saw us wandering about. And it's in the words of the book of Revelations, 
We were poor, wretched, naked, and blind, lost within our own personal wilderness. How many people do you know each day, perhaps members of your friendships or family, that are just wandering around, poor, wretched, naked, and blind, not knowing where to go or what to do next, have their own personal wilderness that they live within every day, suffer within every day. Well, he looked down and he saw us. And he lovingly reached in. And not only saved us out of that gloomy despair, he actually adopted us and brought us into his home to live with him forever. To enjoy all of the privileges and and benefits of being in his kingdom, in his home. That's very special, folks. Now I thought, well, is this special act of kindness shown to us in Christ the only time God ever blessed the Gentiles? No, it isn't. Because we can see other moments of grace being given to the Gentiles in, in the Old Testament. Specific ones. We especially can see it in the lives of Ruth, of Rahab, even Nebuchadnezzar. So God would give these special provisions of grace to individuals, but it was only in Christ and in his shed blood there on the cross that he opened up the floodgates of heaven. And people like you and me, both Jews and Gentiles alike, as he says here, are able to come in and become sons of the living God. Now I confess that I don't know the mind of God regarding the separation that he spoke about here that had formerly been between the family of the Jews and the rest of the Gentiles. But there was really a very real separation, so real that God prohibited even one Gentile from being in the promised land, you'll remember. As Joshua came in and brought the Israelites into the promised land, they were to drive out every Gentile. And I don't know why God did that. But here... He is breaking down these barriers, it says. He's, he's separating. He's, he, he is taking down the barriers that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. Now, does that mean that God changed his mind? No, I believe not. I believe it's wrapped up in these words in the fullness of time. God has a season and a plan and a purpose for everything that he does. And so earlier in that season... For some reason, God wanted to, and it was a good thing that he would set apart a portion of his family into a land that would be just for his people, the Jews. And no, in breaking down these barriers, as he speaks about here, between the Jews and the Gentiles, God did not intend for you and me, once we're saved, for us to go and live in the land of Israel. There are a lot of folks who believe that. The invitation that he is giving to us here of a unity is one that's provided by his spirit. Listen to these. Verse 17. And he came and preached to you who are afar off and to those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit into the Father. We become one and we're able to both have access through his spirit. We Gentiles have always been brothers with the Jews. We are brothers with the Jews. And while it was God's plan that we be separated for a season, and by the way, he speaks here of this enmity. We're separated by our own sin, both the Jews and the Gentiles being separated from God. But thanks be to God that in this fullness of time that he spoke about 
there in Galatians. Christ came and he shed his blood and he broke down those walls of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles and he reconciled all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, back to the Father, making us what he calls here one new people. You and I are one new people with the Jews. One family. Listen, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man, from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now again, as I mentioned a moment ago, the enmity spoken about here has some to do with this enmity that was then and still is between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we find a a very firm enmity present in our culture. A people say ugly things about the Jews. But here he's saying that this enmity in Christ, when you and I come to know Christ, you and I are no longer separated from the Jews. And you and I, it's one of the measurements, I believe. What's in your heart right now for the Jews, for the nation of Israel? I recall a a time when I was talking with my sons, they were much younger then, and they said, why do, why is it that Israel can do anything it wants to and America always supports them? And I said, I don't really know, but I do know that I would, this moment, go to Israel without question and fight and die for them. Now, I don't know why that's so, except this. This is what God did. He did it by His Holy Spirit. He took away this separation between us. And now I no longer try to decide whether or not they're right or wrong about something. They are His family. And just like I would at this moment go and fight and die for any one of my sons, my daughters, my grandchildren, I would do that for the Jews. He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. What was this peace that he talked about here, that he's referring to here? Why is it important? It was the gospel of peace. That's what it's described as later on in Ephesians. It was the gospel, this good news, both for the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus came preaching this gospel. Listen to this in Mark 1. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. Remember? The fullness of time. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now why is the gospel so vitally important to our salvation? It's because, as, as we read in Romans 1 verse 16, the gospel has a singular special power within it. A power that's beyond my way of expressing it or your way of expressing it. And that's why you and I don't need to worry about whether or not, be concerned about whether or not we're convincing with our message. No, the gospel itself, those words have a singular power. It says the gospel is the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. There's a singular power that resides within the words of the gospel. And they capture men and women's hearts and they bring them to Christ. And now as he's saying here, there really is no difference between us Jews and Gentiles. 
We've both been made free. And we have complete and free access to God the Father. And we can both come boldly before the throne of God and call Him Abba, Father. As I've expressed here on at other times, crawl up in His lap and call Him Daddy. His Holy Spirit binds us all together as one. Let me give you one other thought concerning these words. And here again, my imagination is taken over. I can imagine God's face as He looked upon all of His beloved children and He saw what Jesus has done with His blood. And smilingly, and there that's my imagination, and smilingly, God said, it sure is good to have my family together again. Separated for so long, but now they're together again. As I close, I'd like to bring in some thoughts because they resonate with what we're reading here today. And they're thoughts from this book that I mentioned earlier that I'm reading by Martin Lloyd-Jones, The Kingdom of God. In there, he expresses that so many believers and and would-be believers alike seem to struggle with the wrong direction and wrong purpose for their lives. You can just see all in amongst our churches and especially out in the world, people struggling to find what they should be doing, what their purposes are in life, what their future is to be like. They end up, when I say they, we can ourselves get caught up chasing after the wind, never finding that those elusive meanings that we're seeking. And why would that be? Why would that be? It's because we're looking in the wrong place. Every answer to every question of life can be found easily within the pages of this book. It's as simple as that. We don't have to go out there to the far ends of the sea to find it. We don't have to go into the heavens to find it. It is near to us, and it's right here in this gospel. Verse 20, "...having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets..." Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in his spirit. This is where everything that we will ever need is to be found. Again, the truth is not out there to be chased after and pursued. It's in here. It's in here. It's in these scriptures. And here God is saying to you and me that we do not have to spend our hours, fruitless hours, going to the ends of the earth to find His his truth. It's right here. It's right here in these scriptures. All we have to do is open them and by the Spirit, read them. Praise be to God. Let's pray.